0: uh it's kind of a bummer to be on the other side of this and be defending the status quo it sort of sucks i really hate defending the status quo but i really i'm really convinced that each generation has to fight for democracy because it's not a natural state of being and we we are creeping up quickly on ancient greece as having the longest democracy in 2,000-plus years. And ours is only, ours is like three Joe Bidens old, right? There's no assurance. In it. And like when my dad says America's been through many hard things, my dad's much smarter and more versed in history than I am, for real. But he, when he says America's been through much harder things, I, I, I examine each one of those things and think of how close it was that, that democracy tumbled. And the fact that, honestly, like three of my dad's lifetimes all this country has been around. And the odds of it like making one more lifetime is definitely not assured. Uh, so, so it makes me conservative with a little C. And that is not a fun... I don't enjoy that.
1: Welcome to the Unspeakable Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Daum. My guest, Joel Stein, was a columnist at Time Magazine for 20 years, known for his humorous, irreverent, and often deadpan inquiries into American life and social politics. He's also been a columnist at Entertainment Weekly and the Los Angeles Times. Joel's latest book is In Defense of Elitism, Why I'm Better Than You and You're Better Than Someone Who Didn't Buy This Book. And despite the subtitle, it's actually a quite serious, though also quite funny, Journey through the parts of America that, in the wake of the Trump election, Joel realized he didn't understand at all. He talks with me about the people he met, what surprised him the most, and explains the distinction between what he calls the intellectual elite and the boat elite. He also refuses to comply with the structure I try to impose on my interviews, so be forewarned. And with that, here's my talk with Joel Stein. The last time I saw you, was so our books came out on the same day. Do you remember this same day? Yeah. So we wow. had the same, we had the same pub date in October of 2019. Maybe
0: right? we stole each other's audiences. Like when two similar yes. films get nominated for an Academy award, maybe we should have twice the sales, which in my case would still be close to zero. So that's your
1: excuse. I don't know what my excuse is. Yeah. Well, I see. I remember this because you had this uh like book event that was all about being elite it was an elite party and was it like formal was it it wasn't black tie quite but I think it said (laughs) on the invite that we had to dress up and uh like I got there and there were place cards and um it was like a really big deal like if you if you said you were coming you had to come and I was really I was sort of having a nervous breakdown uh like my book was you know, it was sort of controversial and I was getting some heat and i had had like insomnia for the last several weeks. And I was literally leaving like at a 6am flight the next morning to start my book tour. But I so wanted to go to your event and I got there and I was like, literally going to fall down. I, I couldn't, I was so tired and spaced out. And I, so I told the caterer, told the like cater waiter person that, I had to go and I was really sorry but there was like a place setting for me and I didn't want to mess it up and the cater waiter goes, "Well, can you just that really messes it up. Can you just can you just stay? Can you just like really?" <laughs> and I felt I felt really guilty about that ever since. Well,
0: first so, of all, you were a wonderful guest. I'm glad because you I came. Left.
1: I was a, I was a, no, you're no, a wonderful no, no. guest if you're there. Not there. No. I was there maybe 25 minutes. Here's the thing. I love
0: that you defined a very formal event as an event in which if you say you're going to go, you have to go. Like mean, that's we've, we've if lowered you say you're the
1: well. Low. Well, no, if you say you're going to attend, you have to attend. But it, as it turns out, if you say you have to go, you can't go. Oh, oh, that's what I'm I saying.
0: I didn't know. You, say you have
1: to leave. You can't leave.
0: You know, it was, uh, my friend, Josh Ramo threw me that book party at his apartment in New York. And I didn't know, uh, I I never really I was busy hosting or co-hosting whatever it was so I didn't get to meet the cater waiters which I didn't even know they were called to be honest now that I know they're cater waiters I didn't know they were so fascistic either so I'm the one here to apologize for the cater waiters
1: Yeah that's actually why I brought you in I don't really have mm-hmm. no interest in discussing your book but um yeah I just wanted to get this out
0: So uh, I'm sorry your your book my book publishing <laughs> moments are traumatic <laughs> because I have a large ego and then I find out that no one wants to buy my books, in which case I have to kind of recalibrate my ego. But but uh, I don't have any, you know. You you I think were more threatened by reaction, whereas the only threatened reaction to getting I had was good not reviews. Caring.
1: Right. Yeah. So now I'm used to getting no sales and good reviews. So uh, this one was uh, a little different. I actually did. I actually did get sales. So I guess if you have to choose between those two things, it's better to get bad reviews and oh, a lot of sales. not even close. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, and it's not like I got bad reviews. Like, we don't have to dwell on that. Anyway. Um, Welcome but You to the felt unspeak- like you got well, this is what sent you yes. down this path, right? You felt like no, you got. Uh, no, no, I've canceled. been on this path. No, I've been on this what, path what sent years you on this before path? that. Okay. Uh what sent me on this path? Well, that's what I'm gonna ask you. So I'm gonna say, okay. Joel. I, I I'm gonna say, Joel, welcome to the unspeakable podcast. Oh, we haven't been doing the podcast this whole time? No, we haven't doing We're doing it, but I have to like I say to that. Be. Well, I, just, I just so we I can have be... some kind of formal okay, fine. We'll move on
0: um you think it's too formal when people require you to show up after you say that you'll show up so i don't think we need this kind of right, like all know, right i just like the felicity the, this, like some kind of yeah.
1: consistency just because so they know that we're not going to be
0: all right go like, ahead then. having Fine. it I'm having
1: okay. a like a yeah. personal conversation the whole time so okay can, okay so, welcome, so welcome to the show et cetera. Et cetera. oh my god now, thank you for you, having me i really appreciate your making oh. the time so um I, I suspect that we were in a similar predicament where we wanted to write about the culture, uh, starting maybe like around I don't know 2017, 2016. But it's kind of hard to figure out how to do. You solved this problem, or at least you addressed it by focusing on the concept of the elite. So why don't you tell me? I did what not we were come at it that through. way.
0: I did okay. not feel right, like so I correct me. Um, I. I'm a much less serious, thoughtful person than you. And I like to write about how funny, silly things. And I wrote, uh, I was offered kind of a, a, I don't know what you call it publishing, but kind of like a blind script deal to write a book of funny essays. And I wrote some.
1: (laughs) What does that mean, on spec? What is that? Oh, blind script deal. Oh, they gave me a contract. And uh, they're like, I don't know, just write some uh, book. That's yeah. old school.
0: That's old school. It was yeah. old school. Never and, gonna uh, happen again. <laughs> and it shouldn't. I mean, I've I've had yeah. blind script deals too, and they're they have a they sound just like the best thing in the world and they are, no, right? Because you get a deal. But wow. there is the problem with then you're basically pitching to someone who you have to just keep pitching to until they say yes. So <sighs> and, and you have to do what they want in the end. So anyway and,
1: and you're spending the money, they paid you the money, which is that's anxiety producing
0: yeah well so so it became anxiety producing because i wrote a bunch of stuff that sucked, and not only did it suck but for two big reasons it felt really insubstantial and thin to be telling my like you know middle-aged nothing bad's happening white guy stories felt crazy once 2016
1: hit and this Um, was around 2016 when was this yes
0: i handed it in right around election time and um Uh, and it also just felt yeah everything about it just felt and so i gave it to them and they started editing it and i yanked it which is something and i was already years late on this which is not normal for me at all and um and i i said let me try and turn this into a memoir about something more specific like my social anxiety or, or something. And they said, we're done. Just give us the money back. We're done.
1: Oh, no. And I, was,
0: and I was like, oh, I was told that didn't happen. And I just felt like, and I had a sitcom pilot that was supposed to happen that developed through. I just felt very irresponsible, like to my family, financially irresponsible. And my sister, uh, who's younger than me, and is like a divorce lawyer, family lawyer, said to me, what, what are you doing? No one's going to read it anyway. Just take the money. And I felt like she was right and I was stupid. And then the um, Hachette, the Grand Central part of Hachette, got rid of their two top people. And so my editor was like, you know, we have a new person coming in. Give me a couple ideas and I'll pitch them. So I looked through some old time magazine columns and something I'd written about since Sarah Palin was the defense of the elite. And I thought, well, that feels right for the moment and something I could at least write a book about. So that was one of the ideas I gave them. And and so that's how I came to this, not because I couldn't figure out a way to write about the culture.
1: Okay, okay. Were you still writing columns at that time? Like, what was your kind of daily or weekly writing about the zeitgeist practice?
0: So I think time got rid of me after that, like 2017 or so. So it was right around that.
1: I mean, were you having the problem that I was having was that it it was like everything was moving so fast that it was like whack-a-mole. You couldn't, the minute you weighed in on something, that thing was irrelevant and there was the next thing. Like, how do you, literally, how do you write a book under those conditions?
0: I don't, I think, I think we think of, I think we have very different opinions on all of this, which I hope we drill down on. But no, I didn't feel like things were moving too fast to comment on at all. Um, you know, that, that just, that never, that never occurred to me that it was moving faster than I could comment on. Uh, I know I I feel old, so that's maybe similar, but, but no, I didn't feel like, I felt like there there was a progression that things were moving in and, and I could kind of put my hands on it.
1: So, wh- how did you come up with the idea to go to these different places? The book opens up with a trip you take to Miami, Texas.
0: Oh, you pronounced it correctly. This is so sweet well, of you. you well, well I, can I step back? But, I know this is your show, please, and I, please. I, I shut me up at any time. But I really like this idea of delving into things that you can't talk about. So I want to make sure we do that.
1: That's what but, the show is about. We're getting there, but no, we can I, mean. I mean, I mean, I yeah, know you're going to get gotta, there,
0: but I want to. Yes. I've never quite understood how you went down this path. I always thought of you as someone who is, um, well, maybe this is why I I thought of you as a little more, probably even more left than me and more, um, more, more in a good way, sensitive to the world and people. So how did you get down this path? Mm,
1: No, I, well, that's nice that you perceived me that way. Um, you know, I don't think that anything i don't think my approach really changed at all so you and i were columnists at the los angeles times for yeah, t- time yeah. period so uh but we weren't I mean, like
0: we, people should know we weren't like office colleagues like you invited me no. to for dinner we went to we a didn't lunch. have
1: an office i didn't we didn't i didn't even i couldn't even get in the building we didn't have id i didn't have id i don't know if they gave you
0: ID. no i would go down there once a year and regret it because it was so depressing there <laughs> it was horrifying
1: <laughs> it's well it's, it's a lot more horrifying now. It's the offices are well, you know, I almost uh, the, worked the runway there. at LAX. Yeah.
0: yeah. I almost worked um, there again two years ago. We could talk about that later, but Oh, okay. Yes, uh, this I'm sure depressing.
1: this is all, all of our audience wants to know. Yeah. So the, no, the right, Los right. Angeles right. Times used to be in this historic LA Times building in downtown Beautiful. Los Angeles yeah. across from City Hall, uh historic uh, landmark, et cetera, et cetera. It is now located um <laughs> uh, across the tarmac uh, from LAX Whoa. uh in El Segundo, next to Raytheon and something else,
0: like wherever that. you lost your wallet. Uh
1: so so well. To answer your question quickly, because it's I'm the questioner here. I was writing like uh, I I kind of had counterintuitive approaches to my subjects always. I mean, even from when I started my career in the 90s, I was always pissing people off. Um, and I look back on some of the columns that I wrote the L.A. Times. I started in 2005. Uh, I mean, I, I I could never get away with them today. I mean, I wrote a column about how how Hillary Clinton. It was during you know when the Obama Clinton primary, and I said Hillary Clinton was like an old sofa, and Obama was like an Eames chair, and you know it was like a to- a perfectly fine thing to write. I wrote a column about like you know what is whiteness. Remember that that uh that blog what stuff white people like. I yeah. mean. I don't know. I just, uh, there was a sort of freedom and and of course, no way. Come on. Of course. I think, I think Mm -hmm. nobody would publish it. Nobody would publish it. You could write it for your sub stack. Anyway, I, I don't think, uh, I, I think I was on the left because I sort of assumed I was on the left. Uh, and I, I guess I would be called I guess I would be pretty centrist now but honestly I don't think my opinions have changed I just think that the climate has changed and I didn't like the way for instance uh you know people were talking about for ins- you know women's issues for instance all of a sudden around 2015 it was just part of the vernacular to say that it had never been a worse time uh, in the country or the world to, to be a woman. The patriarchy had never been more oppressive, which is patently untrue, and it, there would nobody would bother trying to make that argument up up until that moment. So that's this kind of stuff I started uh, reacting to. To answer your question, so that's yeah. I started down this path around 2014. That sounds right. Um, there's I have, I have
0: trouble figuring out how much is, look, we're old, right? And so, and specifically we're in conceptually. I
1: think I'm one year older than you, so. Well, you're, you're super old then. Um, I just got a vaccine. I just got my first vaccine shot today. That's how old I am. Oh, congrats. I'm really old. Thank you.
0: Thank Um, you. So the. I, I try and figure out, and it's very hard when you reach our age because two things kind of happen. One is that you um, you have you have some sense of history and wisdom, right? You've just lived long enough where you realize that that things have happened before and things repeat itself, and you've got some wisdom. But you also have the like the Semmelweis effect in which you are kind of stuck in your beliefs, and if something new comes along, you just inherently reject it. So. It's very, it's be, it's a bewildering age to be at in that way.
1: Do you think it's especially bewildering now or you're saying it was ever this?
0: Well, we are this going age. through like, like every, it's, I mean, I'm sure there's no pattern to this, but it seems like every 60 years, there is some kind of cultural revolution that takes place. So yes, I think this is, a. it's probably harder to go through this now at our age than it would have been if it were like, you know, 1995 or something.
1: Yeah, well, and also there's the factor of social media that that just wasn't in play. So, I mean, one of the things I think about is like we are we're in this position of sort of being obsolete before we're old, in a certain oh, way. Yeah. Like we can't retire. Yeah. Uh, we get no. I remember on.
0: having an editor tell me a while ago at some men's magazine. He was like, "I'm." He was older, he was like a generation older. He's like, "I'm fine. I'm going to make it through." He's like, and the young people, they're gonna have to figure out something new. You're screwed. You're just in the age where you kind of settle down into this, in my case, magazine publishing thing, and that's gonna go away and you're gonna have to find something else. And that was totally true.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So okay, so can we talk about Miami now or do you want to still Sorry. uh yeah, I, I drill take, down take on distractions because that's what Well, okay.
0: I just wanted to know if there was a moment when you were like, Oh, screw these people. Like they, they, they tried to take me out for this specific thing and I want revenge. Oh no,
1: no, no, no. It was kind of a, a a slow burn. I mean, this screw this, screw these people. I think, uh, you know, certainly over the last, the last couple of years, um, I don't, uh, it it wasn't, it was not, not one event. And, and honestly, I don't, I don't want to screw them. I think they're going to, I think they're going to come around. The ones that I, the ones that, you know, you're most upset about are the ones that you care about. Uh, so I, I kind of think that, you know, it's. There's a reason that these people, we we were, we were basically aligned. It's like, we agree on 90% of stuff. And for some reason we decided to like part ways based on the remaining 10%. It just doesn't, doesn't make any sense. Anyway, um, Miami, Texas is a place you went because you, uh, wanted to see what it was like to be not elite. Is that what what was the, uh, what was the plan there?
0: The plan was pretty simple in that, um, the night that Trump won, I, I was at my neighbor's house. She's a, Stephanie. This is Miller. Stephanie. Yes. Yeah. She's like a liberal radio host. She lives four houses down from me. and she's having a big election night party. Everyone was so happy because everyone was so sure that Hillary Clinton was going to win. And uh, I was the nerd, well, in general, but I was also specifically the nerd on the couch with my computer looking at county by county results that had differed greatly from what I had seen both from some exit polls that someone had given me earlier and just from 538's predictions. And I started freaking out because not because a Republican was going to win just because, uh, there hadn't been someone anti-elitist to win the American presidency since Andrew Jackson. And it just, it scared me. I just didn't know, are they going to mount round up Muslims? Are we going like, to like, can this guy, guy's going to press the nuclear button? Like what is going to happen? It just, I was scared. Um, the economy is gonna fall apart just all kinds of things just scary. and me.
1: who was at this party because you talk about going to a party uh at, at this neighbor's house in the book at another time so this is like rob reiner and uh, like moby and people were at this other party were they also in attendance
0: on Election on <sighs> that days? night moby lives like three houses from her he is a very good okay. neighbor
1: um okay so seven China houses think- from you is that what you're saying yeah
0: i guess numerically okay. yeah um emotionally much further so so who was at that party i don't i don't know if well lisa to bloom if there are the,
1: there. the attorney i don't know she's famous she's the daughter of i think, of Albright, I think. Yes. yeah
0: i don't gosh
1: okay. I, I remember but just so people know i yeah. mean rob reiner uh he was not there that night okay much, so i've yeah. also been to a party with rob reiner so that's something we can talk about a little bit about a little yeah. bit later. But, yeah um because this lived, is what, when you're an LA Times or columnist. Or this is this is the life that you live. For, obviously, um, sorry. It is. It's different
0: than my, I lived in New York for a long time. It, it is different in that way. Um,
1: okay, but these people were all just were they they were they were clueless as to what was about to happen.
0: Yeah, because they were having they were at a party. They were drinking, and I, I started to freak out. And uh, and I don't. I'm not a, a particularly tough person. I don't have a, a fight. Impulse, but I don't have a flight impulse either. I have that that third one where you just you know put your shell up if you're a turtle and just try and freeze. So I just kind of like blanked out, and I had to make it. I left the party with my wife and my uh, son, and we. I knew I had to like not act freaked out and just put him to bed and tell him everything's gonna be fine. But I I was really really freaked out and couldn't eat for days. Uh, not couldn't completely eat, but basically just eat very bland food for a few days as if I had a fever. And um, and then just kept talking to people who I knew weren't as freaked out as me, like a Republican friend or people with a good sense of history. And I thought, like I usually do when I get freaked out, if I can just get more information, it'll be less scary than I think it is. So I, I just looked up the county with the highest percentage of Trump voters in the country and went there. And that happened to be in the panhandle of Texas. It, wow. This, county called Roberts County, which is super rural. Uh, and the it only has one town in it called Miami, Texas, spelled Miami. So I I went there for a week.
1: And so how do you kind of announce yourself on a trip like that? Do you have like a fixer? Is there some, do you have a or is there somebody that you like get in touch with and you say, I'm gonna randomly show up here and you're gonna I didn't want to invite I'm me not, in.
0: I'm not a great reporter. A great reporter just goes and I've done that and I don't I have these social anxiety issues that make me not so good at that. So I, I spent a long time trying to get in touch with people there. And I finally got in touch with the guy who was the mayor and he was very spotty, uh, in his, you know, communication with me, but it was enough where I went there and then he, there was no, there's no hotel in town, obviously. So he was telling me to stay in this place, like 40 minutes away or half hour away. But and then I last second went on Airbnb and found out that someone had like was renting out their house and calling it a and b So I stayed there, which turned out to be great because the, the woman running that place was wound up showing me around town. And, I'm and you know, you can meet in a week. You can meet 250 people or 200 people. So I met like half a town in a week, uh, which was amazing. Thanks to her. She was my fixer, but I didn't I didn't know that. I thought the mayor was going to be my fixer, but he wasn't as great.
1: And the mayor is named Breeder, is that right? And he's uh, also like a like a rancher and breeds cattle. He breeds. Um, that
0: he breeds show cattle. So so, okay. even in this town, very small, very Christian, not poor at all, not poorly educated. It turned out to my surprise, because I had, I had read Hillbilly Elegy and I had a very fixed notion of what a Trump voter was, which was incorrect. Or you know, there's lots of Trump voters, but you know. It, They're not the majority of them, that's for sure. So I, um, yeah, but even in this town, there's an elite class. Like there's a bunch of people who work in the oil and gas industry there, or, you know, were. It's not a great time for oil and gas, but. uh, And then there's a small group of people whose families, five family, who've been there uh, forever and own huge ranches and and are kind of the old money, slightly more educated group. Uh, and you can just see them. They look like they're from Brooklyn or something. I mean, they still vote for Trump, but their their cultural references are much more similar than mine. Like, even in this town, there was a separate elite.
1: Mm. So did they explain why they voted for Trump?
0: Yeah, yeah. And it, um, yeah, I definitely understood. They They are worried that America is going through an existential crisis that could mean the end of America as we know it, and when they break it down for you, and if you really listen closely to Fox News, you can hear the same things. Or don't no, not listen closely. If you just like have a slightly open mind when you listen to Fox News, you can hear them yell about the same things. But they see the cities that you and I live in as dystopic, right? They there's homeless people everywhere. You don't yeah. know your neighbor. You're looking at your phone all the time. Um, it, it's just a hellscape, and they see a neoliberal, globalist, cosmopolitan elite controlling the culture and the world, and their towns are dying, and their way of life is dying. And and they see a really sad future for America that they think this is our last chance to stop. And, and they're not completely wrong.
1: Yeah, one of them used a metric for sort of feeling at home or safe in your community. And it was something like, would you leave your child with anyone uh, on your block or anyone on your neighborhood? Anyone within a half
0: mile radius.
1: In a half mile radius. And he didn't mean one person. He meant anyone as in everyone. Would you leave your child with anyone? Any one of them? (laughs) Astonishing. But like, how did you feel in that moment?
0: Well, I thought it was crazy. Even in that town, I thought it was crazy because as I, as I found out, as I dug around into everyone's names, there was a guy there who had, who had gone to jail for pedophilia. Although I know you're obsessed with it. I know I shouldn't mention that word around you because you'll get into Woody Allen and there's two kinds. Oh, uh, Woody Allen
1: to... lived in that town?
0: No, I'm just saying when saying? I say pedophilia, I'm, I'm mixing up. What are the two kinds? pederasty versus the teenage one. Okay. This, was, this was, I think the teenage one. Um, but I still would be wary of leaving a child with him uh and there are drunks in the town, so um, but I did later look at you know the happiness quotient index test, whatever it is that they started oh, yeah. in uh,
1: They're like in in Denmark or Finland, they're the happiest or something
0: yeah, yeah, but it started in Nepal or wherever they started this, and oh, that's uh, right that's one of the questions on there is is do you have someone you could leave your child with right near your house? So it wasn't an insane thing for him to bring up. Uh, and, you know, I don't know. Am I going to knock on Moby's door and ask him to watch my son for the last second? Probably not. Right.
1: Did you find that they were suspicious of you? Did you tell them you were writing a book or that you were writing like a Time magazine article? Because they would they would know what Time Time magazine is. I
0: told I told them I was writing a book, but they all knew I worked for Time.
1: And how did they feel about time? Because I always think of that as like a sort of, you know, that's sort of kind of a go-to middle of the road, unobjectionable publication as opposed to the New York Times. But what what was their feeling about about time and the media more generally?
0: They did not trust the media, which has been a huge problem in reporting almost anything interesting nowadays, because the idea of platforming has made journalism very, very difficult. Um. What did they think? They had a pretty accurate view of Time Magazine. Partly, I remember talking to this guy Jerry. He's like, "I know who he is," and he he works for Time. And I I used to subscribe to Time. Is what Jerry said. And CNN had come to this town for you know a short segment after the election, and they felt that CNN had done them wrong. I watched the segment; it didn't strike me as a big deal, but they felt like they'd been misrepresented, and so. They didn't trust the media at all. They knew and they in Time magazine specifically they thought in the last you know few years had become really overtly unfairly liberal. And they're not they're not wrong. I mean they they're perceiving real changes in the media. So so yeah, I didn't feel like any I, I disagreed with their solution to the world's problems. But I didn't feel like they had misunderstood the world's problems,
1: Right. So do they consider Fox News part of the media or is it that just sort of like their sideshow of choice?
0: No, I think they felt like most people feel now, which is Fox News is slanted, CNN slanted. The New York Times is slanted. They're all just one political party's mouthpiece. So, you know choose the one that fits your worldview the best and maybe check out the other ones sometimes too to get a, to get a, you know, a fuller picture, but they didn't feel like there was any objectivity to be found anywhere.
1: Yeah. So are they like, are they looking at YouTube videos? Are they trying to go anywhere else? Are they listening to talk radio? I thought it was interesting. Like when you started getting into conspiracy theories, I mean, kind of they're no longer limited to, you know, the, the crazy people. Like, yeah, probably I, I know, Shane. I know perfectly otherwise rational people who are completely convinced of things. I like find bananas.
0: Yeah, I do too. More and more. So in 2016, I think they still got a lot of news from Fox news. Uh, it's they're, they're an very, they're, they're an older population as are most rural towns, uh, not just in America. And they they now get a lot of their news through Facebook. And you know, I think there was there was some concern about the vaccine the last I, I added three chapters for the paperback version that's coming out this month because that's now something they make us do, which is so weird. They don't pay us. But if you want a paperback to come out, you have to write bonus chapters. I don't even know who wants who who wants a bonus chapter. If you read the original book, you're not gonna buy us the paperback too. Do you understand this?
1: Um, I just think there, there needs to be a reason to remind people that they might want to buy a book. So many people listen to audiobook and read on Kindle now that uh, I don't think the paperback has quite the kind of it factor that it once did. So they yeah, I'm not re-recording about these it. chapters for my oh, audio. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? Yeah. Uh, OK, so. Right. Well, so have you been in touch? I mean, I, I just want to make sure listeners sort of understand. So you went down there. Were you there for like a week? How long yes. were you there? Okay. Exactly. And you, and you stayed in this B and B, and you met these various people, and you know it was a B and
0: B in that it was like I got the whole house to myself. Okay, an, little, an Airbnb. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No, like, they called it a B. She really thought it was a B and B. There were Yeah, I know. Groups, it was a little. But there was confusing. no one else there, so I just nobody was bringing
1: house. you breakfast on a tray or anything. You know,
0: this woman who was running it was going to come over every morning and make me breakfast. Oh, <laughs> she had yeah. like a whole menu. I was like, that's that's fine. I can handle this. <sighs>
1: So like, oh, the, were these people wealthy? Tell us about like what the wealthy people yeah. were like in the town, because you make a great point. I mean, you say that, you know, the richest people are actually not the elites, like the richest people in America. Oh, right. And these are not the richest people in America, but the richest people in this town, for instance. So describe like who there they were a, and what's okay. it's like to go into their house. First, let
0: me just quickly define what I'm talking about when I talk about the elite in terms of this book. Uh, I'm talking, I'm not talking about Uh, the top 1% the way Bernie Sanders talks about the elite. I'm talking about the elite the way that Sarah Palin or originally Donald Trump would talk about the elite. They're the people that control what Rush Limbaugh called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I'm I'm trying to remember what they are. They're the media, academics, science, and the government. So that, you you know, they're the... the, All the people we know. Okay. All the people we know and everyone in the Senate. And, you know, Everyone, they all went to the same kind of schools, and it's it's a definite group of people. And I think the great fight of our age, this this new nationalist populism that we're experiencing now, is 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 wanting to dismantle that elite and replace it with a different elite, with a different set of a a radically different set of values, a much more, you know, tribal Roman set of values, Sopranosy. Versus, um, you know, this neoliberal, globalist, um, progressive set of values.
1: Is it sort of like old money versus new money? Like, what would be the parallel there? You talk about the boat elite versus the intellectual elite. Like, yeah, just, what is that again? So, I
0: came up with the boat elite because Trump gave this speech where, after railing against the elite for so long, and uh, his when he was running for office, he got into office and then suddenly in this speech, and it went well, so he kept repeating this. He said, why are they the elite? Like, we should be the elite. We have bigger houses. We have uh, we have nicer boats. We're the elite. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, the worst people in the world are people who own boats, right?
1: Right, Like,
0: right. Oh, what's the first thing you do when you when you buy a boat is you get champagne and you use it to smash it? Like, these are people who like puns these are people who once they get what is it 11 miles offshore we let them do whatever they want just so we can get rid of them they're the worst so um, I so I start calling the boat elite and then when he runs for election the boat this metaphor I created came to life do you remember all those boat parades that Trump got obsessed with
1: Oh, vaguely. I'm I'm so not boat aware. It's not on my radar. Oh, my
0: God. There are all these boat pro-Trump boat parades that he was so into um, that were all over the country. I, I just kept seeing them come to life. I wrote about it, I think, for the LA Times.
1: Uh, but are you talking about bizarre. people who have yachts? Like, what kind of boats? I mean, how rich are we talking? Are we just talking they were, about they were people who live in would... like a m- marina type of area who happen to have a boat?
0: I love how you know as much about boats as me. I think most people who own a boat, keep them in a marina. I think. I don't know. Yes. Yeah. I think
1: Unless you're like an old preppy, old money kind of preppy person. Like you have your canoe or, you know, that you oh, I don't, on, I don't mind of your people. Volvo. I have nothing of course, but this is, people. you know, this is reminding me of the classic Paul Fussell book, Class, yes, yes, right? Which is one of most my favorite beautiful
0: books. beautiful cover that I tried. I wish that's what I was going for with my cover and I didn't quite get it. But yes.
1: I mean, you know the original
0: cover of that book?
1: I can't. I mean, no, I can't remember. I remember like the TV with the flower on top. So you know, no. flower pot on top of the TV because that's that's how elite people show that they're ironic about their TVs.
0: Do you know? I don't remember that the cover. Douglas Copeland came claims that Generation X, the n- name of our generation, is not from the Billy Idol band, but from that book class.
1: Oh, the X class. Oh, yeah. The, Really? That's, that's so, what Copeland does. Okay. Well, the X-Class, just for our listeners who are not aware of Paul Fussell's classic book, Class, uh, the X-Class is sort of the, bo- the bohemian class, the people who are educated, um, you know, highbrow taste, uh, but maybe art, they're artists, creatives, academics. They, they don't have any money, but they're, they have sort of social currency and cultural currency. Right okay. so that's the x class yeah. so we're so generation x is the kind of um demographic uh you know version of of being x class we, we're just that's all what, that way I know plenty of generation x people who are part of the boat elite though so I don't know if this well
0: is you're you're as you get older, your generation just uh becomes something different doesn't it
1: well, I haven't found that yet. We're still <laughs> still complaining about not being able to brand ourselves. Anyway, okay. But
0: the moment our generation died, well, before I even tell you, I, I I feel like I know what it was. What do you think? The when do you think the moment when generation stopped being generation X stopped being generation X?
1: Uh, what was this when like some some famous person died? I don't know.
0: It's sort it? of. I think it's the moment that Letterman got the Netflix show. Oh, (laughs) when he suddenly becoming, became incredibly earnest and thoughtful and wanted to know why Kim Kardashian was such a great businesswoman like that, that was the end for me.
1: Right. Even though he's the ultimate baby boomer. You know, I have to say, so I live in New York and I just got my first vaccine shot. And it's because last week they lowered the age to 50 and above. Right. So I could just slid in. I was very happy. Okay. So I, I get my shot. I literally come home today. I see that as of next week, they're lowering. No, as of tomorrow, they are lowering the age to 30. So now it's 30 and up. That is Gen X erasure. Is it not? I we think had that's a barely a, a week. Where it that's was about our the amount special of attention
0: week. Gen X has ever deserved or it's gotten. Like, oh, about there's nobody
1: in this cohort. They're, 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 how many vaccines <laughs> do they need? Like 85, I don't know, a couple, couple thousand. I mean, no, it's like, and then the 40 somethings get nothing. Like they're just skipping right to the 30s and, and below. I just thought that was classic. That's
0: Well, the 40s are still Gen X, yes.
1: That's what so, I mean. So the yeah, 40s exactly. don't even get their yeah. special week. No, right, yeah, to whatever, get a never shot. mind. Exactly.
2: Anyway,
1: um, okay, so sorry, Paul Fussell, X class, Generation X. Okay, so the boat. What were we saying? The the boat. I don't know, we haven't know, said rich, anything that's rich unspeakable. Rich people are, are not. Eh, well, We'll we'll get to that. Okay. So you say most rich people are not elite. They live far from the nation's cultural centers and run boring businesses. And you mentioned truck. You met a guy who owns a bunch of truck stop motels in Texas, a bunch of Arby's in in Omaha um i mean understanding this now like what does that how how what does that portend like they they don't want to have they feel that their world their culture their way of life is being taken away by overeducated uh il- elites snobby people and they want to have people like themselves be in charge like what's actually their their ideal scenario like to the, are the boat people The boat elite going to, like, take over Congress. What does it look like to them?
0: Yeah, I mean, it it looks like um, having a different set of values. You can see this in country after country. It's having a much more nationalist, often tribal view of um, uh, of the world and a different set of values that's based on what Nietzsche talked about. Like uh, these wouldn't be terms we would use anymore, but the master and slave. Mentality, and you know the master mentality is about power, it's about loyalty, it's about tribalism, it's about honor—stuff uh, we don't care about. And then there's the slave mentality, which I know occasionally um, gets us upset because it's it's a victim culture, uh, and you get you know more points for suffering than uh, it's it's a more about the negative way to put it. It's about revenge fantasy, but the positive way to put it is it's about kindness. And I think we both can agree millennials are nicer than us, right? They just are.
1: Well, they're not nice to us. I guess no. they're, not, they're nice <laughs> on principle. They're not nice to us. They're sensitive. Uh, they're more sensitive than us. I mean, this this idea of sort of knowing in your gut, I was really struck. You quoted something Stephen Colbert said back in 2005, right? He said, we are a divided nation, not between Democrats and Republicans, conservatives or liberals, tops or bottoms. We're divided between those who think with their head think with their head and those who know with their heart because that's where truth comes from the gut so I guess that was like the beginning of his truthiness trope that was the first he, thing he said in that show amazing yeah. Yeah. that he was we know who he was talking about back then that it's almost like this everybody thinks like this now like you know the, the left is fighting within itself because people are um, valuing feelings over facts etc cetera, etc cetera.
0: Th- that's it, that's the essence of my book which is I am really scared about people who operate from their gut because there's every psychological study will tell you that there's nothing more inaccurate than your, uh, your perception of the world. There's that David, um, uh, David Foster Wallace speech about how the one thing that his gut tells him is for sure is that he's the absolute center of the universe right? Like the, the basic thing that you're perceiving couldn't be more wrong. The fact that you think you have free will, like all of it is just wrong, wrong, wrong. And to operate from the gut is so dangerous. Uh, and I feel like that's, that's where we're going as a culture.
1: So what do you, where do you see yourself in this? Like, do you think you were always an elite? You say something that, uh, I think you say like, you know, it wherever we were our success is largely based on where we were before we turned 18. So you're from Edison, New Jersey, if I'm recalling this correctly. Is that right? You do. Yeah. Okay. So I I'm I'm from New Jersey too, a little bit. Uh didn't live my whole childhood there, but went to high school there.
3: Uh, Wait, what high school did and, you go and to? Other
1: that? things. What high school did I go to? We don't need to get get into that. So uh, oh my. so I went, no, I just went to a regular stupid public suburban school, but Edison, New Jersey is not like one of the rich towns in New Jersey. Uh, So what was your relationship to status, social status growing up? Um, You ended up at Stanford. So you, you became an elite at that point, but like, we had plenty of money growing
0: up. So Mm -hmm. I, I literally don't remember ever wanting anything and not getting it. So that was never I was really lucky. My parents paid for my college. So we had plenty of money. My town wasn't rich. And we weren't like the richest people in my town because there was a lot of like mm, sopranosy kind of money there. Um, but yeah, I felt I never thought about money, never thought I wanted money. Just I, you know, I I got a general feeling that I wouldn't need that much and didn't, you know, and we get plenty. So my I but I did grow up in this suburban town where I felt like I was just far enough away from some kind of more bigger, interesting world. And even though that world scared me, and I didn't want to leave home for college, and I didn't I didn't want to, I was scared of it, but I was really ambitious at the same time. And so I, I wanted access to, you know, the way that Lynn Manuel Miranda would have said, "The room where it happens." So it was for me. It was all about going to a really good college and then working in some kind of government or media place, the elite. Like I, I i called it the loop when I first got to New York. I don't know if you had this experience, but I I knew they were like because you'd walk by them on the street. You'd be like, what is what is this party? Like what is that what's behind that red rope? I'm not talking mm-hmm. about nightclubs, but I'm like, <laughs> I know there's like uh you know the the Paris Review is having party. I know that all these things are happening and I can't figure out how to get into them. And my goal is just to get in. And I called it the
1: loop. I just Mm -hmm. wanted in. And so just going to Stanford was not enough. I mean, Stanford's kind of a a tricky case, though, because that tends to have that, that is a little bit demographically different than going to Harvard. I think you just get funneled straight in to those parties in New York or Yale kind of thing. Stanford's slightly, slightly different.
0: Yeah. Maybe, Maybe it was. Maybe we can blame Stanford, but I felt like that was, that was a big part of my, entree was using college but uh no it didn't quite you know i was doing maybe if i had taken a job in government or finance or something but you know i was a fact checker for two years for magazines and that was that was so close to getting me in but didn't quite get me in
1: so you wanted to be a writer what was the goal like what how did you see yourself
0: um I mean, my goal was to get paid to write and not have to have another job. So after that, my secondary dream, I guess, after my goal would have been to, to have a column, to have a humor column at some l- small local newspaper somewhere.
1: Okay. So that's a very X-class ambition, is it not? Yeah,
0: I think, Do you, I'm trying to remember, oh, I'm blanking on his name, San Francisco Chronicle. Columnist forever, who wrote about local stuff. This is embarrassing, but I think he's the one I kind of like. Thought would be awesome to be.
1: Hmm. Okay. But, Not like Dave Barry or something.
0: I loved. Dave well, Dave Barry. Barry for sure. I read Dave Barry in high school, and I interviewed him at college, and I interviewed him at Time. And my first question was, "Do you feel me breathing down your neck, old man?" Uh, <laughs> and I've since gotten to know him a little bit, but yeah, no, Dave Barry seemed like the extreme version, but yeah, they, for sure.
1: So, uh, okay. So, do you feel like you got there? Do you feel like you are a member of the elite in a real way, or does it feel like you're you're always on the verge of getting kicked out?
0: Oh, right. So, yeah, I feel like I'm a member of the elite, and um, certainly exceeded the dreams I would have had when I was 16 or 18 or 20. My, um, do I? Yeah, I think part of it is just getting older, and you kind of want to just sink your your claws into what you have and make sure you don't lose it. I think that's a very conservative impulse that I'm trying to avoid. But I think, yeah, I definitely feel part of that.
1: Yeah. I mean, the reason I'm asking is because that moment when Trump won, I think it was destabilizing for a lot of people that just assumed that we were uh, our way was the default setting and our perspective was just, you know, the the correct one. And all these other people were just kind of kidding themselves. So so this is what you know, I want to talk about this book and what what drove you. So like suddenly you feel the only way to feel better is to get more information. And the information is not going to come from the Rob Reiners of the world. So you- Oh
0: my God, go no, because I, I went over to Stephanie people. Miller's party yeah. and all this was just right after the election. And all they were talking about is the Russians and how he was about to be impeached and, you know, what we're going to do about President Mike Pence. And I was like, you people are insane. Like, oh, they, and this they, was later.
1: You mean you went to a party a little bit later in the- or Yeah, but, but not about, long yeah. after the
0: election. Right. They were all right. convinced that Trump was going to get thrown out. I and mean, yeah. they kept being convinced. It was insane. And they didn't yeah. believe that half the country voted for him. It, right, you, They didn't believe he was popular. It, it, it really annoyed me. It was just like trying, how do you even solve a problem for your own group, for your own in-group, when the in-group won't admit that the problem's real? It was just, it was so, I found it so frustrating, each of these impeachments, each of these denials. It just, it, it's like, also, it's not just happening in America. It's happening in every country right. in the world. Right. Like, right. there's a thing happening. Engage with it. That that does drive me crazy, and and the denial. Like, I mean, if you want, just because this is what the podcast is about, the denial reaching into the uh, poisoning our entire elite ecosystem to the point where they won't run Tom Cotton's essay. Right? It's just like it's like not only is this happening, but you you promised yourself after the 2016 election you wouldn't make this mistake again and not notice it, and then people immediately went back to pretending you know push saying you can't talk about these things and it doesn't exist it just reminded me of like after 9 11 when everyone decided there'd be no more comedy and we'd only have firefighters and police officers on the cover of vanity fair and that lasted like six weeks i don't know same with yeah i've
1: totally forgot about that that's right too soon too soon and then it was and then the time had passed (laughs) oh yeah yeah well, okay, I want to get to that, but I really want to also talk about Scott Adams. So Scott mm. Adams is somebody who, like, I know. Well, who just he one is.
0: thing, real quickly, to yes. touch on what yes. you said about our elite group being threatened, and it's not just that we're worried about the world; it's we're worried about ourselves. So in, in the book, I touch on this Vilfredo Pareto essay from 1900, where's where we get the phrase "the elite" from, and he talked about the circulation of the elite, which is this kind of Nietzschean concept too—that there's these two groups of elite kind of the master-slave groups that um, are just constantly battling for power and overturning each other. And, you know, the masses are just, you know, the, the, these these things don't rise from the streets. The streets are used between these two groups of the elites that toggle between each other. And that's kind of the inflection point we're at right now. Obviously, you don't know which way it's going to go, but I think, we, I think it's exactly that. There's this fight between two groups of elites.
1: Mm-hmm. So... Uh, yeah, that's actually what I kind of wanted to, that's why I wanted to talk about Scott Adams, because he, he is kind of explains this. He, he really has like a foot in both worlds. He explains this, uh, on behalf of the sort of boat elite, but he is extremely elite and extremely, extremely successful. Um, tell us how you got to him. He's the creator of Dilbert, which again is uh you know not not something that would be uh on my on my desk, but uh tell us how you got to him and what your meeting was like.
0: I interviewed him briefly a long, long time ago, uh, and found him to be funny and smart. and then he took a you know, there's been a group of people who take a surprising conservative turn at various points and he took an extreme pro-Trump turn which right. I didn't see was, coming. Like, and became...
1: Pretty libertarian on everything else though. That's what's strange about it.
0: Sort of strange, but there's a lot of kind of look. Peter Thiel spoke at about gay yeah. rights at the Republican convention when Trump uh was running in 2016, right? Like th- right. this the old way we define left and right is not particularly useful right now. Um, so so yeah i wanted to go meet scott adams so i i uh flew up to pleasanton right outside of berkeley pretty liberal town uh adorable town that he lives in and went to his giant house where literally um the it was it was designed partly by people writing dilbert fans writing in so there's a what in essence due to the windows is a Dilbert face that looks down on the pool from the interior. It's an amazing house. He was building with his wife and then they got divorced in the middle of it. And uh, he lives there alone. Well, now he doesn't, he remarried, but he was living there alone when I saw him.
1: Okay. Yeah. It's, it's a hard thing to do to build a house. I don't think a lot of marriages survive any house construction project, let alone with a Dilbert shaped uh, window as part of the design. Okay. (laughs) (laughs)
0: uh yeah and he um he's very post-truth in that way that Colbert was mocking is I think he really feels like he thinks he and I are watching two different movies I'm watching some kind of anxiety-ridden horror movie where the, the Trump and these populists are taking over and he is watching a movie that's really funny and where all the things that these You know, these memes and everything are hilarious and, and, you know, and it appeals to me as like a trickster in the culture who is used to writing columns that mock other people. I mean, that's, that's the aesthetic of the right now more than the left. So like I could, it's not hard for me to get pulled into that, that desire to do that stuff. Uh, It's kind of a bummer to be on the other side of this and be defending the status quo. It sort of sucks.
1: Well, right. It's not what we signed up for.
0: No, I mean, and getting old. Like ugh, I wish I could, you know. It it does. I, I really hate defending the status quo, but I really, I'm really convinced that th- each generation has to fight for democracy because it's not a natural state of being, and we we are creeping up quickly on ancient Greece as having the longest democracy in 2,000 plus years. And ours is only, ours is like three Joe Bidens old, right? There's no assurance. And and like when my dad says, America's been through many hard things. My dad's much smarter and more versed in history than I am, for real. But when he says, America's been through much harder things, I I, I examine each one of those things and think of how close it was that, that democracy tumbled. And the fact that, honestly, like three of my dad's lifetimes is all this country has been around and the odds of it, like making one more lifetime is definitely not assured. Uh, so, so it makes me conservative with a little C and that is not a fun, I don't enjoy that.
1: Yeah. Although don't you think that something is going to emerge that kind of splits the difference? I feel like there's the two party system is, is, has got to go. I mean, that is not sustainable. Um, so my
0: only—I don't know. I think the system that we built is going to have a two-party system. Um, now I don't know if democracy itself is sustainable. That's more of my concern. This this model that Victor Orban, this illiberal or Christian democracy or whatever he calls it, I think has a lot of appeal. Uh, I think people generally are inherently tribal and want a strong man, and if they can have some kind of version where life looks a lot like it does now. I mean, I think if you hung out in Hungary right now, it wouldn't look that different. But you just give up certain rights for certain protections. I think people dig that. And that's what frightens me.
1: So for example, what do you mean? Certain rights for certain protections, what comes to mind?
0: Like state-run media, whatever. I don't think people care. Um, What else do people not care about? I don't think if the judicial system is totally appointed by one strong man and everything's gerrymandered and and the majority gets a lot more of what they want at the cost of the minorities. Um, I think people are generally okay with that version. And when you don't allow new people into your country, or you don't give them the same rights as the old people. um, I I think that has a, but you get to keep your cultural identity in exchange. I think that's a a compromise people are happy to make. And I think the long-term repercussions of that are, disastrous on every level i mean i know that I, I it's more than think and again it is think and i'm trying to have a really open uh, you know I, I immediately my brain goes to every dictator that's ever existed it goes straight to pol pot it goes straight to you know um stalin but but i also i'm trying to have an open mind I, well, i'm trying to pitch this show called i mean it'll never happen but called democracy Meh, where i like go <laughs> around the world and to different places in america and talk to people who don't believe in liberal democracy and, and check it out. Like, I live in rural Hungary for a week, you know? And I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe this isn't so bad. Like, I love Navalny, but I also know that if Navalny was straight up, completely in a fair election, allowed to run against Putin, Putin would win. Like, yeah. people in Russia like that better. I, I, who am I to say they're all wrong?
1: But those countries are different than the United States. The United States
0: is We always say that, don't unique-
1: but Well, it's true. I just don't oh think God. it's fair to apply those standards. I mean, it's a completely different project.
0: Is it? And it's ever I mean,
1: evolving. You yeah. get,
0: you get Boris Johnson in England. How different is England? You know, well, a you lot. Have...
1: It's not, it,
0: this American in England, exceptionalism, there has always been an
1: England. Well, it's not, it's, it's exceptionalism. It's, it's, you can call it whatever you want. It's just, I don't think, I think it's a, it, it you can call it a sort of uh, isolationism, perceived. You know, it's it's a way of thinking about isolationism. It's a different sort of thing. It is its own case, I guess. No,
0: I mean, America is a place where you could never have people storm a capital and try and kill people in order to change an election. Like what? I don't America, think that's- you couldn't have a Nazi party. You couldn't. What, what we can have you all have? of those
1: things, but I'm yeah. saying there is not. People have come from all over the world to be Americans. Tribalism plays out differently here than it does in other places. And I think it's it's more fluid and it's, you know, there's. it's. I don't know. I go to complex. London.
0: I go to a lot of others. I go to Toronto and a lot more people have come. Those places. Those in, are cities, New York those are
1: cities, though. That, well, this n- country is very
0: different in its cities than in its rural right, population. But you can't compare
1: London. Yes, London is like New York, but the UK is not like the U.S.
0: I don't know. I don't know if rural England and rural America and rural France and rural Hungary and rural Russia are really politically that different.
1: Than America or than each other?
0: Then America, all of the above.
1: Okay, well, I hope you get that show so we can find out. But why do you say in defense of elitism? What do you mean by that?
0: I think if you have people run a a complicated government in in what is a globalized world, at least right now, who operate from their gut, you're going to have disaster. You need people who are technocratically trained and educated and um to run your country and to run your businesses and to run your media and to, it,
1: yeah enlightened you know, dictatorship i always thought we should have enlightened dictatorship seriously oof,
0: i don't know i don't think so i think that's that's just as dangerous because <laughs> because yeah that,
1: not, i don't i'm not totally serious that's serious with a small s but it, it i mean but what are you saying then? How are we supposed? To, we are supposed to find these elites and make sure they remain installed. How are we supposed to do that?
0: I think we we we've been doing it, and we, we redid it a little bit with Biden. I mean, if you look at all the Biden appointments, I mean, we could we could nitpick here and there, but for the most part, these are deeply experienced, trained individuals in, in what they're doing. So, um, yeah, it's the restoration of the elite, at least at you know, the top level of our government right now
1: did the people that you spoke with talk about conspiracy theories in terms of a quote unquote global elite i mean that is a concept that i think uh, haunts people more and more and obsesses them uh do they have the idea that somehow everyone there's this cabal of people and they're meeting at either davos or on some other secret planet and and conspiring to get their way uh somehow. It's
0: confusing because no, I didn't meet a lot of people who believed um in QAnon back then. Although I think there are certainly from talking to people in Miami, there's people were talking about Bill Gates putting in the chip, people who I thought were normal. Uh had just seen a lot of stuff on Facebook that said that.
1: About you the know, vaccine. So so yeah. did you okay, okay. So you went back but, but, recently. For, to talk to them. No, okay.
0: no, just on the phone. I okay. I haven't left my house. Yeah. I, oh yeah. Of course. What am I thinking? What am I? I'm So I, but I also think that um, they they w- they would have said, and they would have been accurate, that there is a global elite, cosmopolitan, neoliberal global elite that controls the world and does kn- do know each other and do travel around the world. Like when I when I interviewed Tucker Carlson for the book he talked about meeting some, you know, CEO type guy from a Aust- or hedge fund. I think it was a hedge fund manager from Australia who said to him, a passport's just a piece of paper. In other words, I'm not really Australian. Like I can get an apartment in New York. I can travel around the world. I have friends in every city. Like he probably doesn't know anyone outside of Sydney and Melbourne, but he probably knows people in like London, Paris, New York, um, Tokyo. So that, that, there's a lot of people like that we know and in essence you know that's the that's different than like the conspiracy theory is the thought that these people have a long-term plan and it works out well right? it,
1: that, the, the i the faith in people's organization the i the idea that this could be organized i mean this is like a, the idea that nine eleven uh w- was a conspiracy like all these people are just going to keep their mouths shut who were disappeared and not really on these planes it's an amazing faith in uh
0: Sort of well, it's a very comforting story, right? That like there's a problem. I
1: find it very disturbing, but yes, I know. Yes,
0: it's very comforting. It's like there is a problem in the world. It's these six people. We just need to get rid of them. I'm a genius because I know about it. Like it's a very comforting theory. In reality, of course, the world's super messy, and as a journalist, you know that nobody keeps a secret. Like as I say in the book, there's one secret that's been kept in my entire lifetime, and that was who Deep Throat was. Right. or right. three people who know who knew. And I honestly, to this day, believe if it wasn't W. Mark Felt and was anyone any more interesting than W. Mark Felt, that's that secret couldn't have been kept.
1: So what do you think about Jeffrey Epstein, for instance?
0: Oh, I, well, I I talk about that in my new chapters because someone I know went to Jeffrey Epstein's house and hung out there with him and some Nobel was invited. To a lunch he didn't know Epstein met him once somewhere invited him over for lunch with a bunch of Nobel winners who this guy wanted to meet and was vaguely aware that he'd been in prison for something and still went so I think you know money and power can get you out of things but I don't think there was like um, and do I think there are a lot of dudes who are into you know teenage girls who are too young it, I don't even follow Epstein that closely it was it that it was that not like I mean, I, well, again, you're into this world more than I am. I don't. Know, I, you're
1: you're painting me with a very broad brush. I, I'm. I'm saying uh, you're a pedophile. Yeah. Th- okay. Well, that's fair. Yeah. Okay. Um. No, I was asking about Jeffrey Epstein. Sorry, and I mispronounced his uh, name. Uh. No, more like this idea that was he uh, murdered or did he commit suicide? If he was murdered, would people really be able to keep their mouths shut about that?
0: Oh, was kind you mean I'm like going. was a. Uh, Was he murdered by, like, some angry other prisoner? Or was he murdered by, like, Or was there some kind of
1: commission? Like, there was some, you know, too many, you know, he he had too much information, so he had to be done away with. Like, you know, that a lot of people think, I I feel like most people in there are kind of split down the middle. It's really, really even split. Like, some people think, there's no way. Don't be ridiculous. He hung himself. People say, don't. You're you're ridiculous. Why would he hang himself? How could he?
0: Yeah. Because the two things that happened that really hurt, the elite uh recently they happened at the same time where the epstein story because QAnon believes that like uh a bunch of members of the elite are pedophiles and they drink baby blood
1: yeah they're um, obsessed with child abuse which is is interesting yeah
0: which is very common for you know forever as a jew i know that's a big part of like a lot of conspiracy theories against the elite so there was that but then there was the varsity blues scandal uh, which happened around okay. the same time, which was also the big knock against the elite. that the education system was just funneling rich people who they could then claim they earned their right to be part of the elite. And instead they were just buying their way in, which is also somewhat true, right? And they both both of these things seem to just prove these conspiracy theories. And I think we're in really essence, damaging.
1: But the people who were buying their way in in Varsity Blues were not real elites. They were kind of like boat adjacent, I'd say.
0: They really were they really were um for the most part i think that's that's very true that the jared Kushner dads uh of the world um but yeah i think they were both they were both really bad for the elite and, and and spoke badly of us like why were people hanging out with jeffrey epstein like
1: that wasn't cool yeah yeah it's it's mysterious
0: uh but and i do think be... there's a lot of dudes not just in the elite but in general who are you know we way too into teenage girls and i'm i have a lot of truly horrifying you know um fetishes and sexual deviancies but, but i don't happen to be into teenage girls and it makes me feel really superior so i really always that's your next book right people.
1: that's gonna be your next book
0: teenage why, girls are gross yeah totally no, and i, I, I thought, and, I and, and, I why, teenager, I and why i'm smug about it and why i'm smug yeah i'm smug about everything yeah
1: I know, but this this in particular. I think that's good if you have a I really
0: feel I really do feel better than everyone else because of this. That like I don't like the Catholic school uniform at all.
1: Mm. Okay.
0: I'm just uh, saying next time we hang out, don't don't put on the red really? skirt. Then I yeah. think
1: I probably wore it last time. Okay.
0: I know. That's why you had to leave after fifteen minutes, despite what the cater waiter said. I, I asked
1: Oh that's right. That. At that event. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So um, what is she
0: doing dressed like that? that little black backpack has to go
1: um so yeah so tell us what you added so did you talk about you you had to write new chapters which which sucks i'm i'm sorry about that um that's actually why my paperback hasn't come out yet because uh, i haven't gotten around to writing the new chapters Um, yes i'm just gonna die on that hill uh Uh, So, like, what kind of insights do you have, you know, in in, into the pandemic and how that's played out for the elites? I mean, uh, there's an obvious narrative here. Those of us who were uh, laptop jockeys, I think, is Caitlin Flanagan's term, uh, and who can order our food uh, to be delivered, and you know, we've we've Mm. survived in a way that um, obviously a lot of other people haven't. So, what's what's wrong with that narrative? Yeah, I know, I know, but. That's kind That's of a how it discussion has been I'm happy to have yes. that I
0: think is very yes. interesting about the you know the economic division during the pandemic, but I assumed when there was a pandemic and people were afraid for their lives that there'd be this enormous shift towards expertise and the elite that like when things were in two thousand and sixteen when things were going great, you know we'll roll the dice see what happens on having a uh, you know a guy who's uh never run anything in in government run the country but i didn't i assumed that when things got bad when there's a pandemic and the economic collapse from a pandemic which i also thought was going to be way worse horrible predicting things um i thought you'd immediately turn to just experts and everything and that that was not really true at all um people got really much more tribal which apparently as i learned in the book happens during every pandemic a pandemic is not like a war in a war, you you do come together as a country because you have a, a specific enemy that you can kind of work against. Whereas in a pandemic, it's more like a zombie experience where you don't know if your neighbors are going to infect you, and you don't trust anything, and um, and you you kind of break up into groups and the uh, and the people who are uh, who are experts don't aren't really appreciated it does bum me out like have you seen the movie um uh idiocracy many times
1: of course i i that was always my go-to as a columnist when i couldn't think of what to write i would write either about the culture culture of narcissism or you would just say like oh we're living in idiocracy that those are the columns you write when you don't have anything else to say that week
0: (laughs) <laughs> um i greatly objected to your column recently about um not having not writing in first person anymore now that you're at middle age we can talk about that in a second. oh well but,
1: that's that's because I, I didn't have anything else to say that week actually that's what i
0: thought i felt like, felt like you, were, do, you were arguing against your own column by talking about but your, then i wrote um, a follow-up
1: and i said i wasn't talking about other people i was talking about me anyway we can get into that later i also exactly. wrote a, i wrote a column about how i don't i'm not going to have any more takes It's true. I'm so burned out, but that's that's why I'm doing this podcast. I want other people to talk. So I don't like it that you keep asking me questions.
0: Don't want to type. Um, So yeah, you know that scene at towards the end when Luke Wilson is about to be killed by uh, in the arena, and and he said, "I'm the one person trying to save you. Why are you trying to kill me?" That's what that's what the pandemic has been like for me. That there's like when I went to when I found out about the shots, I cried. You know, when I heard Moderna's results, I, I cried. And um, I, I just felt like, what if I were one of the people that worked on a vaccine? Like, I sat, we sat here doing podcasts during this, you know, pandemic. Yeah, we did it I, We Yeah, exactly. And that there were other people out there who were, like, going into a lab and running trials and literally solved it and saved humanity. And and then there's a bunch of people who won't get the shot or think think the shot is evil, and I was just like, what does that feel like to you? That you've not only given this gift to people, but they're angry at you for it. Like I can't, I can't process what that must feel like.
1: Mm. Well, but then I sometimes wonder, do those people just have better things to do than obsess about that? I'd like to no. think so in some way.
0: No, I think it's gotta hurt. We should talk to some of them. I think it's gotta. I think it's gotta be deeply, deeply upsetting.
1: But w- were you at all frustrated with the media coverage of the of the pandemic? I mean, it was pretty frustrating watching those Cuomo conferences drag on through the summer and just com- conflicting information. And no, and, I was angry at people for being angry about it. Hmm. I, I wasn't like, angry about it. I was just completely confused. It was like, yeah. I, yeah,
0: A pandemic happened, right? Like people were trying to figure it out in real time. Right. You got to. It's the same thing. Like before the pandemic, there's a part of my book where it just drives me crazy when someone I know, often an older person says, you know, you can't trust science. Sometimes, you know, it's eat chocolate, don't eat chocolate. Like, what am I supposed to do? I was like, uh, I'll tell you what you're supposed to do. Like, uh, stop eating so much chocolate it's not that hard. Like we we know the basics of nutrition. You don't have to follow every little study that comes out and notice that science is learning something. Like it just the, the whole iterative process of science and people's objection to it drives me insane.
1: But what do you think about this sort of refusal on the part of the left to give Trump any credit whatsoever for getting this vaccine out so fast?
0: It, it it's annoying. Anytime you say something positive about anything that's not part of your tribe and politics have become the defining part of what tribe you're in right now. Um, it It's, it's very frustrating. The idea that if you criticize the left, then you're working for the right, like that everything is just so simplistically bifurcated that it's, uh, you know, it, it's insane. I I, I don't know. I mean, you know, you can't be, people won't, If my wife finds out that someone voted for Trump, we can't, she won't be friends with them anymore. Like it's, it's, um, Hmm.
1: so do you go over there by yourself without telling her? Is that what you're saying?
0: Yeah. There's this, I always try and like think about the fact that we've all got this continuum between truth and peace and that there's some break which we won't, we won't be peaceful anymore if it violates our truth. So, you know, if I find out that someone, um, you know, there th- there are certain things that I can't tolerate. And that's true for all of us. I and mean, we all just have different levels of how much we'll be able to tolerate. So I try and be respectful of that. Does that make sense? Or do I yeah. Need an example? But I also okay.
1: think that like, I, so much of this is processed through our emotional experience. I mean, I could sit here and complain about how people have replaced facts with feelings, but the fact is that the stuff that annoys me, it's annoying me because of some kind of wiring in my senses that has come about thanks to my own personal ex- experience. Like, I, you know, I, I don't like it that people are are overly sentimental or overly emotional about, about certain things and that we can't, you know, it makes it difficult to have a rational conversation. But it's like,
0: that's because like what what are you thinking of when you well
1: okay you know what I'll be honest with you so you since you since you have alluded to uh my pedophilia we can we can talk about that so yeah i I am obsessed with the uh Woody Allen Mia Farrow saga I know and I know you know uh you seem to be uh very uh very interested in your in your knowing of this I think you want to talk about it more than you might admit
0: well I don't know enough so I can't really oh well, I'm here to tell stuff. you
1: uh well, I mean, I I don't I'm not gonna relitigate and go through the whole story, but it's really. like he there was Mia Farrow to me is clearly like this kind of you know borderline narcissist case, and she has manipulated a situation that that Woody Allen. Uh, really set up for himself. I mean, he's not, he's he's a very strange guy. Uh, he's he's creepy. You can, you know, any number of adjectives. It's definitely uh, weird and gross. Um, you know, whatever word you want to choose that he got together with Soon Yi. On the other hand, uh, I think she was 21 when they got together. They've been together for 23 years. I just, to me, when I look at this case, it is so clear that Mia Farrow is like, manipulating the situation and portraying herself as this saint she's adopted she has 14 kids 10 of them are adopted um you know she's a un goodwill ambassador everything is sort of about what an amazing person she is it's this like over-the-top hyperbolic um sort of you know martyrdom and like elevating her into this like incredibly amazing person. And whenever I see that, like my, just my radar goes off. I can't, there's gotta be something wrong. Uh, and so like, to me, it's, it's, I I, obviously we don't know what happened. Nobody was there. Nobody ever knows what goes on between two people who are alone. We by definition can't know that, but I just, you know, I, I have known people like her and to me, you just look at something like that, and it's so clear, and you have somebody like Moses Pharaoh who's given a very detailed, very convincing uh um sort of you know i don't even want to call it a testimony i mean he has written at length about what it was like growing up in that in that household in that family, and the way that the adopted kids were treated differently than you know the biological kids like Ronan I mean three of the adopted kids um have died um Moses. Yeah. Moses Pharaoh, who was a guest on this podcast, um, you know, two of them, I think, were known suicides. He believes that the third one was effectively a suicide. Yeah. I mean, it (laughs) <laughs> the thing that frustrates me about the, the this case is, like, if you actually wanted to, like, make a film about it or tell the story and really get into it, it would be fantastic because it's operatic. I mean, that Ronan Farrow becomes this champion of Me Too. And I always said, like, if he wasn't so determined to avenge his mother in such, you know, dramatic fashion, half of these Me Too stories wouldn't have been written. So the movement itself actually has Woody Allen to thank. Anyway. This is not what this interview should be about. But I guess that was a very circuitous way of answering that question that I because I'm hyper attuned to that kind of personality that I perceive Mia Farrow Uh, to be. That is why I'm obsessing about this case in a really disproportionate way. Who is this person,
0: you know, who is so much like Mia Farrow?
1: I've known people didn't know my close relatives let's just say people in, in my ah, midst no and it's just okay. like it's like you, you you know you you you're just I had Bridget Phetasy on the podcast um I heard it a few yeah. weeks ago and we talked about this and she says the exact same thing she says I just I see that a mile away you know Can it's I funny, tell you I,
0: my only Mia Farrow story because I know nothing about any of this
1: uh-huh what's going um, on in the background there
0: well okay I am so Wait. old
1: do you have an answering machine? Yeah. I am so
0: old, I literally have a landline and an answering machine.
1: Is that a police? It sounds like a police radio.
2: No,
0: it is a publicist, which is similar. He's going to go on and
1: on. So for listeners who might not be uh, familiar, they might be a little younger. Um, there, was a thing called an, there was a thing called an answering machine. Mm-hmm. And does it have like a cassette or is it you're not quite it's not quite it's got an eight old. track it's actually got, it's, got, it's a turntable it's got a, uh, it's got a wax uh, so cylinder. people would people would leave messages and uh you would replay them and they, there wasn't uh you had to play it through the speaker and there was a thing called a publicist mm-hmm. which does still exist but they used to communicate primarily through the phone and leave messages like that and so that's just what happened in real time in this conversation in
0: Era. Can mm-hmm. I tell you about one Mia Farrow story? Yeah. Just um I have no I'm a Woody Allen fan. Not not the not as a pedophile, but as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And, and only up to a certain year. And then I
1: Of course. Well that's up. the other thing. It was okay. very convenient yeah. that all of his movies started sucking right around the time this happened. So it's very easy to denounce no, him and refuse before, to be in before. his films.
0: Um, okay, So um, I you know, the most of the movies that I related to were not necessarily well anyway, I didn't have any feelings about Mia Farrow. I just didn't not my uh didn't see a ton of movies with her in them. Didn't Because there uh, weren't
1: actually very many. Right?
0: Okay, good. <laughs>
1: well, she he was kind of her meal ticket. You are
0: the other thing is you are Diane Keaton to me. And so it's Aww. not surprising that you're not crazy about Mia Farrow. But anyway, so Mia Farrow didn't mean much to me. She wasn't um my physical type. She's very like cutesy and pixie. Uh and so uh for whatever that's worth. So I just didn't have feelings about Mia Farrow. And then one night after a Time 100 party, we went karaokeing, and Ronan and Mia came, and uh, and Mia Farrow was a revelation. She is one of the, uh, you know, five sexiest people I've ever met. Really, it was shocking. Okay. That's all. That's all I, that's all not I got. Is that the whole
1: story? Well, see. Just
0: charming. I, just no, incredibly I, see, charming.
1: I that's what everybody says. And again, people, I know people who know her. I know people who will say, I know somebody who knows her very well. And everybody says she is fantastic. The most amazing person. Just unbelievable. And once you start hearing like that level of enthusiasm, something's off. It's, oh, I'm not saying I have no knowledge about the
0: depths of her soul. No, I know. I'm just I saying yeah. at a party, she's a winner. I'm sure i'm yeah. sure
1: uh it's interesting i i don't follow the royals at all i have no interest in I mean, them but people are. are saying did, similar thing I about Meghan saw... markle oh really oh yeah Me- the Meghan markle thing yeah you know it's funny i i did this i did this tweet a few weeks ago something like you know i think the world is divided between people who can spot borderline narcissist types from miles away and people who never had the need to develop that ability ah. and um it was one of my more successful tweets, I uh, have to say. <laughs> um, and that's what I, what I talked about with, with Bridget, was that she really, um, she was uh, sort of obsessed with the Meghan Markle thing and just smelled it miles away and thought she had called her sister after that interview and they said, oh my gosh, why is it that we're able to see this and nobody else is? And they're like, oh, because our mother was this,
0: you know. One of the many great advantages in society in being a man is that you don't have to know any of this stuff like there was no way i was going to be able to watch that oprah winfrey interview with the Royals, which is um
1: yeah i didn't i didn't watch that either
0: for some reason i'm equally disinterested in football but i will watch the super bowl um but this i I don't know there's something society is is giving me an excuse not to watch the oprah megan markle interview
1: yeah yeah um well i don't want to go on forever i know people like I feel like like we didn't say anything
0: unspeakable. I'm really disappointed. Okay, but I'm going to get
1: to that. I'm going to get to that. So I guess just, you know, to kind of wind things down here, and maybe we'll wind them up a bit. uh, I mean, as like a writer, as a cultural observer, as an opinion haver, haver, do um, do you feel constrained? Do you feel like there are things that you can't write now that you wrote, that you would write 20 years ago? Do you feel like if you were starting out now as a young writer, you would sort of develop differently? What do you think?
0: Hmm. Yeah, for sure, because I got my attention, and I was aware of this at the time, by being the slightly punky, maybe one of the last people to fit into that specific kind of Post 60s Hawkeye Pierce, um, the the Jack Black character from um, uh, Schoolhouse Rock, the one where you just kind of like, you're a slacker and therefore you give your finger to the man, but the man thinks it's kind of adorable and gives you a job anyway. That, that, so, and I could do that at a big surviving institution like Time Magazine, whereas like, even at like, it wouldn't have flown at Spin Magazine. That probably doesn't exist anymore. But they some younger magazine. But I could do it at some old institution still, with the last places. That that space doesn't exist anymore. Um, that's not interesting anymore. So I would, I couldn't have done that. Um,
1: but do you worry about being misread? Like, okay, I mean, I remember when we were columnists at the LA Times, you wrote that that column that got you in so much trouble. I don't support the troops. Right. Yes. Okay. So this was, what was this probably like 2006 or something? 2000 right around there. Uh, and yeah, so probably. your, your point was that you, you supported, what was it actually? Now I'm getting, uh, why don't you describe I, I, it? Cause I agreed with I, you. I, I was a defender of the column.
0: Yeah. I think my, my, I did not make this point well. And there was a lot of ignorance in the column that was pointed out to me. But the general thesis was okay, which was that if you think you can separate out supporting the troops qua troops from supporting the war, it's not that simple. Um, And and I'm not asking you to be disrespectful to people who signed up for the army, but at the same time, when you show patriotic support for them, you are showing patriotic support for what they're doing. Uh, And as someone who was very against the Afghanistan and Iraq wars and was in a, a you know har- horrible minority for that. I I felt like this was, and the tide was turning, I felt like this wasn't helping the cause of bringing those people home and saving their lives. Uh, so So I was, the kind of support that people were showing, I thought was dangerous to the cause of ending the invasion.
1: Yeah, so that's an example of, I think, it's that's a complicated point to make in however much space there is like you know you got 900 words 800 words whatever it is um it, it was hard make enough make jokes right yes and and be entertaining i mean it was hard enough back then before there was twitter before there were people reacting you know without even reading the piece can you imagine trying to tackle that now
0: yeah i think it would be the same i really do i i I'm not particularly sensitive to, um, I'm very sensitive to mass attacks. So when you're under social, when you're being canceled or however you want to put it now, it's painful because we're social beings and all you want is that pain to stop. And if you think apologizing is going to work, whatever it takes, you just want to make that it's physical. You want to make that physical anguish stop. so I understand that, and I understand why being smart enough to avoid getting yourself in that situation—that was always true. Um, but you also need, if you're going to be a person who gives their opinion in life, whether it's in the public forum or not, you have to—you have to insulate yourself from your car- Who you are is different than your ideas. Uh, and to and I've been a columnist since college, and I I'm okay at not thinking that the anger people show in the comments or on Twitter or in a rebuttal article uh, column are about me. Um.
1: But has any ever gone after you directly you don't seem terribly online i don't see you on twitter a lot but i mean you could you know you are a middle-aged white man you could take one uh one one false step in any direction and really have a bad time of it
0: you know my wife is always warning me like don't you know you just get canceled don't do that i'm like ah. i'm pretty like much what kind of anyway. like,
1: like what kind of thing would she warn you about
0: warned me about going on your show just because of what it's about, really, um, oh
1: I'm so honored
2: glad to hear that
0: yeah, you know there there, there are occasions where I run things by people because I'm not sure if I think that's an okay thing to say, um and sometimes I'm told it's not and uh and then I have to think about whether they're right or not and and it's
2: often on ground that I don't feel that firm on anyway, and then I'll listen, but no, I don't feel I don't. Feel like I'm afraid to say things. Now, I live in,
0: as we've established, you know, the Hollywood Hills in a very progressive area. So I am constantly saying things that my friends don't like. Um, and that's, I, I think that's mostly okay with them.
1: Like what? What's a recent example? Oh, you haven't said well, anything on here. I Honestly, I, I don't want to disappoint uh, your wife because you haven't said anything on here that's well, I wanted to, Terribly. we just,
0: we wound up just talking about like, you know, partly because of the book I wrote, it's pretty safe ground, right? I'm just talking about my fear of populism, which.
1: But what do you think yep. we're what do you think we're avoiding? I, I actually, and I'm I'm shocked. Well, I, I'm Amendment sort of stuff. honored. Oh well, yeah, I know. But I, I, ta- ta- I feel like I talk that. about. Okay, okay. Well, let's get into it because you know we only we've been talking for an hour and a half. So you know if we're going to compete with Rogan, we need to go another three three hours or so. So <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: I am. I just, have smoked a lot of pot and done a lot of math over here. So I think we're in Rogan territory. <sighs>
1: Okay, but I mean, what is something that is a, an opinion that's going to piss off your, your friends in the Hollywood Hills?
0: Probably a lot. You know, I just don't, I'm, uh, I'm wary of anything that curtails speech. And I'm wary of any institution that doesn't give the other side, uh, I guess the other political side, the other side that has a logical argument. I don't think, you know, you should be allowed to, I don't need a professor who believes in QAnon. I don't need a professor who believes in the flat earth. But having more conservative professors, I certainly uh, believe in. Uh, I think that's a real problem in academic institutions right now. I think this Tom Cotton essay and what's going on in the New York Times is very scary. Um, Yeah, I I, I have those kind of.
1: See, but that's why I'm, I'm interested that you don't really worry about what you say because i mean i'm well, assuming I also you're think... upset about all these people getting fired i mean it seems like at least two or three people get fired from these institutions every week or suspended or forced to resign
0: yeah well the institutions themselves i'm also worried won't hold and no. I, don't, I don't but i think that might be regardless of this this last progressive gasp like did you did you follow the Bon appetit reply all thing at all
1: a little bit. I'm. I'm I was so, obsessed. But I'm I was not a at all. Before. Okay. Yeah. Who
0: was the editor um, of Bon Appetit? I've known him for a long time. Yeah. Uh, back
2: from when we were all at Time Out New York together, and uh, I mean, yeah, the idea, the the reaction to everything being we need to fire that person
0: is, uh, it's a, it's a interesting power move. In that it really does weed out some people that have probably stayed at places for far too long to be useful, but it um, it's very self destructive, and I and I don't know if these institutions are going to hold anything because of the democratization of the of institutions in general. Um,
1: well, the business model is, is not sustainable.
0: Yeah, but right. not just immediate. Like I I wonder if if it's sustainable anywhere if it if every, if all groups are becoming so small that you can't have giant institutions anymore i don't
2: mm-hmm.
1: know um, yeah i mean something like the teen vogue editor getting uh fired i think she was she was the editor in chief of teen vogue for about a week it's yes. a big deal she's a, a woman of color she's black she was she's only 27 she had been found to have um sort of Sent some racist, anti Asian, I suppose, tweets when she was 17. Oh, they were. I read them. Yeah. Were they really bad? Or, I mean, yeah.
0: I mean, they weren't like kill all Asians, but they were definitely like real bad. I mean, they were. I mean,
1: yeah. Doesn't that make you feel like, I, I mean, this is see again. I don't want to. I feel like I talk about this a lot, and this is, gets talked about a lot. But it's like you think about what we the stuff that we said without thinking about it.
0: Well, this <laughs> in, is what would drive school. the people in Miami. I try and think of it through the people in Miami's eyes, and and they 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 would just laugh like this is all exactly what what they were complaining about, and now the left is having to experience it themselves, right? Like all what annoyed them was the left calling them racist all the time and accusing them of. Of not, because they, because if you live in a rural place, like trans people, this is a new idea. Like gay marriage is still, believe it or not, kind of a new concept to you. And they don't feel like they're given the space to like consider this stuff. And before they're canceled as, as a people, like everyone who wears a MAGA hat is angry that they were canceled from the culture. That if you go to Miami, Texas and you turn on the TV, there's no one who seems like them at all. There's a bunch of people that seem like you and me um and so so they feel very much not represented and canceled and mocked and now i think they're laughing that like everyone else is being put the, the left is putting itself to the same lens and eating itself in days now like um so i try to look at it, it through their lens and to look at it through the lens of just cutting people a little bit more of a break and to realize that um Everyone's a little bit racist and we all need to, we all need to improve. And there are other bad things that people do besides sexist, racist stuff too. And we should also explore that. Like, I know I imagine a couple of generations from now, people looking back at you and me and asking, asking whether we knew that it was wrong to eat animals, Right.
1: Yeah, I often think of that. Well, first, I mean, if if they were actually looking back at you and and me specifically, that would I that would make me very happy cuz the idea that anybody <laughs> would remember either of us. Um yeah, no, I often think like what are the things, you know, what are the things that 50 or 100 years ago are going to seem unconscionable? And there are so many things. So, like the idea to to judge something that happened a hundred years ago by the standards of five minutes ago. I mean, again, this is something that gets said a lot. But, um, but yeah, but so it sounds like you are fired up about this stuff. So you know, you 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 seem you know you say you're not you're not worried. We turned on
0: the Muppet the Muppet Show on Disney Plus the other day, and it came with Mm. a warning. Yeah, I know. And I was like, I was so excited. Our whole family was excited. I have an eleven year old boy and uh, a, a wife and. We were like, what's it going to be? Is it Swedish chef? Like, what's going to happen? We were so excited. And we were, it was Steve Martin was the host and we we're watching, watching And Steve Martin at some point picks up the banjo and is like, and says, I'm going to play in a bunch of different styles, you know, jazz and whatever it was. It, it was from his stand up routine. And then he's like, I'm going to play it Chinese. And then he did a fake Chinese language, right?
2: Oh. Which
0: only for a few seconds, I'm like, oh, that's it. And you felt it. You're like, oh, that wasn't cool, Steve, but not like I didn't feel like Steve Martin was evil i felt like the culture at the time found china to be oh, yeah. foreign and exotic and well, you know David in that Moe, way.
1: china girl i mean yeah. that whole song the whole i mean I, whole we can go through every it. song i
0: of course I still can't believe prince never got in trouble for um what is it with a body like that she had the nerve to ask me if i was gonna do her any harm no that's not quite it it's uh <laughs> <laughs> Looking like she was, she had the nerve to ask me if I was going to do her any harm. Anyway. Um, oh, well. But yeah, p- part of humor is ignorance. And uh, at that point, you know, we didn't really know much about Chinese culture, for the most part, in the the people who, you know, were in charge of the culture. And so it was funny just to think of how weird those, those noises were. And now it just seems dumb and offensive.
1: Yeah, and the world was just—it was—we we, every every culture knew less about other cultures, so they we were just talked about them in in tropes and stereotypes. Yeah, that's why that you
0: was laugh so default. hard when that's you're a right. kid because everything different is so funny. You play right. peekaboo with a kid; it's hilarious that this is happening. Right, this person keeps coming back. It's just ignorance.
1: Um. Okay, so have we covered everything? I don't think we have, but. I was told, to I was told recently that nobody wants to listen to an interview longer than 40 minutes. So we. I stopped listening. We, about we lost, minutes we lost, yeah, we lost everybody uh, about an hour ago. Yeah. So, uh, is there any, when, did, when it, did
0: you lose me? I lost you about 20 well, minutes
1: ago. We had, we spent about, uh, half an hour trying to get the sound right. Uh, trying to, that was the trying, best part. trying to hear each other. I know it always is. That's, uh, you know, when you've got a professional setup like I do, um, uh, at least, at least my dog didn't interrupt. That's usually my, my main concern. That's right. You got your answering machine. Uh well, Joel, thank you for speaking with me. I hope you're I hope your wife's not too nervous about your appearance. It's here. it's
0: always fun talking to you. I uh, I miss you. I hope you're happy in uh in the in New York City.
1: Oh, yeah. Sometimes. You know how it exactly. is. Exactly. Um all right. Well, the paperback is out soon. It's out in April. It will be it is April now people are listening but what date as if it matters like does it matter As if it matters doesn't matter exactly. do you know yeah. what it is no i don't even know okay that you don't matter but you did write new stuff so it would be nice if people people bought it so. yeah i guess okay yeah whatever okay all right until next time is that your sign off whatever i don't really have a sign off you're just you're supposed to say thanks for so having me the, you were so into the i don't know because the they have, they need some kind of like shape to it otherwise they're like i don't know when this is ending okay but you,
0: but you don't have one you would like you with a formal welcome and there's no oh i goodbye. see uh
1: no i'm just i do but off. i haven't no i have a i have a uh an, an uh outro that i record later so don't worry about But you that. need
0: like a good night and good luck kind of thing
1: oh yeah. So say like all the women are average and all the men are strong or something. Okay. I'll say that. Yeah. There's another dated That's- reference. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Joel. Bye. That was my interview with columnist and author Joel Stein. Joel's book in defense of elitism is out in paperback this month. He's also the author of Man Made, A Stupid Quest for Masculinity, and has taught at Princeton as well as written for several television sitcoms, as one does. You've been listening to The Unspeakable Podcast. If you like it, please consider leaving a rating or a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, those sorts of places. If you really like the show, please consider supporting it at patreon.com slash the unspeakable. You can get all sorts of perks there, including discounts on new official podcast merchandise, which bears the show's unofficial slogan, nuanced AF. There are mugs, t-shirts, and baby onesies. There was demand for t-shirts in kid sizes, so now those are available as well. You can find them by visiting the Nuance store on the show's website, theunspeakablepodcast.com. I'll be back next week with another incredibly nuanced guest. Thanks for listening. See you next time. by love and worlds apart, it's a new season of 90 Day Fiancé The Other Way. TLC is shaking up Sunday nights as all the drama heads overseas. Cheating scandals, culture clashes, and even a devastating hurricane won't stop these six couples from following their hearts. With everything on the line, can their love go the distance? 90 Day Fiancé The Other Way, every Sunday at 8, 7 Central on TLC. Set your DVR Hi, I'm Frank. I don't like change. And I just saw a billboard for this new BJ's Wholesale Club talking about how you could pay as little as two cents a gallon for gas. Look, when gas prices are this low, we can't complain about gas prices being too high. No, sir. I wouldn't join BJ's Wholesale Club.
0: Hey, thanks, Frank. But if you do want to sign up now to get a $40 BJ's digital gift card, join the new BJ's Wholesale Club, opening soon in South Fayette. Visit BJ's.com slash South Fayette or the BJ's Membership Center at Newbury Market. Offer valid for a limited time.
3: Addiction is a disease that impacts all of us. Whether you, your neighbor, friend, or family member is struggling, everyone feels the pain of addiction. Recovery Centers of America, Monroeville, wants you to know that addiction treatment works and recovery is possible. Call 1-888-RECOVERY-NOW for help for yourself or a loved one. Recovery Centers of America have helped thousands of patients across the United States and here in Western Pennsylvania start a better, healthier way of life through their evidence-based